hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Sound of bar down breakdown coming back in, and uh, here we are. It's awesome. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We've got a great interview coming up with our homie Chris from Punchline. Yeah, that Punchline that uh, has been putting out great records for like I don't know, almost twenty years. Really super stoked to have him on. Talk a little bit about Penguins hockey, and uh, you'll hear that all in the interview we got coming up. But uh, we got some hockey news to talk about. So um, proposed divisional realignments and maybe getting hockey uh as soon as like the 13th of january how awesome is that man what are you thinking mikey i'm i'm thinking happy thoughts man like i was definitely down on the league or you know even just like two episodes ago like i really didn't think it was going to happen probably until february or march so january 13th is way sooner than i thought um, you know, I, I think the fact that the vaccine is starting to, to, you know, roll out soon mm-hmm. is also kind of what made the NHL think that they could pull this off quicker than that. Uh, I, I know that the NHL has come forward and said that they do like request for like them, like as a league to buy some of the, like the vaccine to give to their players. Like, obviously they right. don't want to jump first line responders and such but yeah of course they're they're trying to to just pay to to speed up the process to get the players the vaccine and then you know i i think the fact that they are doing this realignment they're trying to limit the the travel except for that canadian division like that all canadian division yeah it doesn't doesn't really make too much sense to me i mean you know if you were trying to limit travel why are we having Montreal and Calgary in the same division or, or freaking Montreal and Vancouver. Even you're talking about literally going as far across the country as, you know, New York to California. Um, that I'm not really understanding now, maybe if they're thinking that it's going to be difficult to cross people over the border, oh, that that's I guess one, I can understand. That's 100% why they're doing that. Like they have no choice. They're, they're not going to be able to travel back and forth over the border. So I, I guess that's, what makes the NHL a little bit different than all of the other sports leagues, like other than the NBA. And I, 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 I can't even say with a hundred percent accuracy. Do the Toronto blue Jays still exist, Tom? Like I haven't watched baseball. In the blue very... Jays do still exist. Okay, so yes. All right. Raptors so that... too. So those are the only yeah, all right. Canadian teams, uh, other than in, in the NHL. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think that's what makes it so tough for the NHL is like, we have a good portion of the league that play in a different country. So definitely challenging for Mr. Bettman, but it's it's cool to see that TSN is reporting that, you know, a January 13th day is possible. Um, still not a hundred percent official. 
So by the time this podcast drops, it could be totally just blown up and not going to happen. But as we record this on December 11th, it it is still what the plan is. Um, the, The conference that our New York Islanders play, not a New York Islanders podcast, but the team that we love. It's going to be a tough conference, man. Like yeah, <laughs> there's there's no easy games in that that new conference. Whatever they're going to they're going to call it. I think they should throw it back to the Patrick division just because of our boy Steve Patrick, but <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be cool if they just were like, "Yeah, we're going to be the Patrick division this one year." Listen, I I um I, I think uh you know, whatever whatever needs to be done in terms of restructuring to um you know, keep it relatively safe and and make it uh, easier for the players to travel and uh you know not be as exposed is a great thing but um you know it remains to be seen i think that uh it's a step in the right direction for sure uh but you know here's to holding out hope that uh you know by the time this episode drops we're uh we're in the same boat and uh and i i i just hope that we'll be um but uh you know, without further ado, uh, obviously we want to get you right to, uh, the action, no pun intended. That's a punchline <laughs> record. It's called action. Um, and, uh, and chat with, uh, with Chris, man. Cause he, uh, a really great interview. Um, he's got such great energy, uh, so much love for, for what he does and just his, um, you know, just his energy when he talks about, uh, you know, the penguins, when he was, you know, young, the late eighties and early nineties is just, it's palpable and it's real. And I just love it. And I think you guys will love it too. So, uh, I'll just let you go right into it, man. Uh, Chris from punchline and, you know, get with it, man. Enjoy. Back in the mix, far down breakdown uh, episode. Like I don't know, eight million at this point. But uh, we've got a we, we've got a real one here. We've got our homie Chris from Punchline. Yeah, you know that Punchline, that Punchline that's been around since like 1999. Punchline, super stoked, man. Really excited to uh, to have a, a warrior of pop punk on with us. So uh, thanks for taking the time, man. What's going on? Oh yeah, man. Thanks for having me guys. I'm glad to talk about music and hockey and what, whatever else you guys want to talk about. I'm here for it, man. <laughs> I can it, talk. Man. No, that, and, and we, we could talk too. So cool. I, I like this relationship going forward. So, um, Hell yeah. I know, um, 
you know, before we, we launch into all the punchline questions, cause I've got a million of them because, uh, you know, I, uh, I listened to action, uh, just like two days ago, just to kind of get in the right headspace. And, um, geez, man, that, that record was just like far ahead of its time. I mean, when you look at like some of the releases that came out on, you know, fueled by ramen around that record and how different things were, it's, uh, it's wild how that, that like the texture of that record really pervaded things and, um, was really fresh at the time and it still holds up. So I, I, uh, I tip my hat if I was wearing a hat, which I'm not to you, but I do tip <laughs> my hat to you on creating a great record. But uh, let's let's start off with some some hockey chat. So I yeah. know, um, you know, before uh, we were recording and kind of communicating back and forth, you were saying that uh, your real uh, like your where where the most of your knowledge is, where all of your love is, is mm-hmm. 90s Penguins. <laughs> That's right. Well, 90s, 90s NHL in general. And like early to mid by late nineties, I stopped caring so much. And, and only because I got real into music and was traveling mm-hmm. a lot and stuff at that point. So I didn't get to like watch every game and wasn't really playing hockey anymore. So, uh, yeah, but dude, early to mid nineties hockey, man, I could talk to you. <laughs> I could talk to you for <laughs> days about it. And, and that's, and that's awesome. And, and let's, let's get our, let's get our start there. So, um, you being a being a Pens fan, um, you know we're talking '90s Penguins. I mean Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager. I mean, like you know, it doesn't get much better than that tandem. So, yeah. um, what, what were some of your you know first memories of uh, of watching that '90s Penguins team and and you know their 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 fluidity and just how good they were? What uh, what kind of memories you have, dude? I remember going to my first ever Penguins game, and I believe it may have been in 1988. Uh, I kept every ticket stub and everything from from oh, I love every game I went to and the programs that they give you, the free programs you walk in. I have every piece of Penguins memorabilia from like the late 80s all through the 90s. I kept everything, newspapers, uh, ticket stubs, everything. But I remember I saw Mario play, uh, you know, it was probably in his, at that point, maybe his fourth year. Penguins were starting to get good. They had a guy on the team named Robbie Brown. I don't know if you guys remember Robbie Brown, but I thought he was really cool. He was the first guy <laughs> I saw who, who had hockey hair. And another fun fact about him was that he dated Alyssa Milano for a while. So I thought that was pretty cool too, because that was my first crush as a kid. <laughs> so now my was, favorite, yeah. Was Alyssa Milano your first crush because of the, the Josie video? The Josie video is Alyssa Milano in. The, I don't. I didn't remember yeah, that. Did you yeah, talk about believe, the Blink, believe it or Blink not. One Eighty Two Josie video. She, She's in she that. She is the love interest. Alyssa Milano is Whoa. in uh, in in the video for Josie. Yeah, where uh, Mark Hoppus is just like flying all over the place and tripping over uh, hurdles and all this cool stuff. So, but I mean, it could have also been from Charmed. You know, obviously. Oh, I was. Who's the boss? <laughs> Who's the boss all the way? I mean, there I grew, we go. Okay, I I grew like... up with Alyssa Milano. With a po- <laughs> she was my first ever uh, girl that I had a poster of her on my wall. It was like her like riding a bike. <laughs> and, uh, and But yeah, she dated a penguin. This like, you know, number 44 for the penguins in like 1987, 88 or so, uh, who had a mullet. And I thought it was cool at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's my first memory. But man, do I have some awesome memories of the penguins because, you know, that first year when they they beat the Minnesota North stars in six to win the cup. 
I mean, that was like magical watching that happen as a kid. You know, I was like a 10 year old kid at the time. And then even more magical the next year when they won back to back Stanley Cups, uh, I got to go to both home games of the Stanley Cup finals. One, because my dad got tickets and it's a game that they won one nothing. And then the other game that I saw was the game that when you watch in, in Pittsburgh, when you watch like local countdowns of the greatest penguin games of all time, this one's always up there. I think they might say it's number one, uh, but that may have been taken over by when the penguins beat the, the black cock or I mean the red wings in game seven back in, but that's beside the point. The game penguins were losing the Blackhawks four to one. And then they came back and won five, four in the third period. And it was awesome. I was there as a kid. It's like an 11 year old kid, just like losing my mind. And to see those like playoff games was amazing, you know? So like that really, uh, I don't know, ingratiated me into hockey. And then I, then I played hockey, uh, all through middle school and high school and everything. And I just really loved it. I thought as a kid, I thought I was going to be a professional hockey player. <laughs> you know, that was like my, <laughs> my dream profession before, uh, whatever, before I started playing music. But, uh, I had a, I do have a Islanders related story for you guys. Let's um, hear it. I'm all for it. <laughs> so that third year where the penguins would have three peated, that was actually the best penguins team. I mean, in the regular season, they won, uh, oh, what trophy do you win when you have the, the president's presidents? presidents. Yep. Yeah. They won the president's trophy. They won 17 games in a row that season, like late in the season. And they won in the first round. And then second round, they played the Islanders and it was game seven. And I was at the game and I had tickets that were like kind of behind the goal that the Islanders were shooting at in overtime. And I remember I was there with my dad and and the Islanders scored in overtime. And I remember like that being the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. Like I just couldn't believe it. I guess I didn't think it was possible for the Penguins to lose. <laughs> like, you know, in the, the prime of my youth, I'm seeing the Penguins just win Stanley cup after Stanley cup, not only winning Stanley cup after Stanley cup, but Mario Lemieux overcoming back problems and cancer and all these things. And like still winning the cup, it was like amazing. And that happened. And I remember these, like there were a few Islanders fans that, like ran down towards the glass and they were waving a big Islanders fan uh, flag. And I just wanted to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I still hold a grudge, man. <laughs> and then unfortunately the Dale Hunter situation happened. And then that shattered the Islanders chances after that. Oh, what was the Dale Hunter? I don't even remember. What yeah, was it? That's when Dale Hunter cheap-shotted Pierre Turgeon after he scored in one of the games, and then Turgeon uh, ended up missing the rest of the series. Dude. Hey, do you remember Do you remember who the Dale Hunter, who, who I guess Dale Huntered <laughs> Mario Lemieux was back in the day? Adam Graves. Adam Graves slashed Mario real hard across the wrist and like took him out of the series oh. when he played for the Rangers back in the day. Uh Dude, yeah, I could do, I could go down this road forever of early Penguins and NHL in general, man. Playing NHL for Sega, like the original NHL for Sega, was so awesome. I just thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Now, I I secretly told you in the chat that I was a Mario Lemieux fan growing up, and yeah. you know, Tom and I are a little bit younger than you, but I I vividly remember going to like the lo local ice rink, and do you remember like those like cheesy little keychains that had like they were cartoonish but they had like every nhl team and they were like had like kind of bigger heads than their bodies 
Okay, yeah, kind of. And I remember I got a Pittsburgh Penguins one just because I thought it was like a cool logo. And then like ended up finding out that there there was this guy, Mario Lemieux, on the team and was head over heels like as a six, seven-year-old about Mario Lemieux. And like, I don't even know if I've ever like watched a Penguins game because it wasn't easy to watch opposed like teams out of your market in those, you know, early 90s years. And I just remember like getting all his hockey cards and like having all this like penguins memorabilia and never even really watched the guy play other than like in all-star games or when they were right. like big games yeah dude do, did you guys happen to have panini sticker books do you know what the panini sticker books are i don't well, i know what paninis are though i'll tell you no, that. <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of panini they were just like <laughs> sticker books that each team you had like blank spaces. And then when you were at the grocery store, they had these little packs of stickers. They're like 25 cents and you would get, you would get 10 uh, stickers in there and then you would try to like complete the collection or whatever. And they were like, That's awesome. Yeah. I still, and I bought on eBay like last year, I bought like a box of the stickers. So it's all these like, I don't know, they're cheap ass little stickers, but of all the players, uh, those were awesome. <laughs> so all the memorabilia stuff, man, I got it all. So so speaking of, uh, you know, kind of 90s Penguins, if you're following today, you know, the NHL just uh, over the past month has revealed the reverse retro jerseys. Yeah. And Pittsburgh's is the, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the Pittsburgh going across the sweater. It sure Um, is. And uh, I mean, that's like, it was the quintessential 90s jersey. So, uh, you know, how are you, how are you feeling about that? I don't know. I. I, I guess I think it's cool. I think I probably like they, they did it reverse. Like they did a white one, which didn't exist back then. But I, I think mm-hmm. I kind of like the black one. Snoop Dogg famously wore that jersey in oh, what video was it? I forget. But I always thought that was so cool. Like, oh, my God, he's wearing a Penguins jersey. <laughs> uh, he was always repping Pittsburgh team Steelers, Penguins or whatever. But uh, yep. yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. It's weird how the Penguins in the 90s had that other logo for a while. That yeah. more like that like slick streamline logo, but dude, the original the original logo is so much cooler. Or, or not the original original, but the one that we all know. Yeah, I think cool. that's such a cooler logo. No, I I, I agree. I um, I, you know the the reverse retro jerseys as Islanders fans, it's it's just a kind of a sore spot because you know the Islanders had such a great opportunity to bring back the fisherman jersey, and uh, unfortunately they decided not to, and they just kind of went with a sort of a navy carbon copy sort of very kind of plain bland uh logo which ended up being sort of a bummer especially you know looking at uh you know the them doing like a whalers style jersey oh, and like all this yeah. kind of stuff uh so yeah, a little little bit of a bummer but um you know, Dude, the whale, whalers stuff is amazing i have a whalers t-shirt i lo- i love you know and, and penguins got some pretty awesome players from the whalers. We got Ron Francis from yep. the whalers. Yep. We got, uh, um, Ulf Samuelson from the whalers in yep. <laughs> yep. a very famous trade. Uh, and yeah, like old whaler stuff, old Nordiques stuff and old, yeah, right. The old Canucks jerseys. Oh man. So, so much cool stuff, man. Yeah. The, um, we're, uh, uh, violent gentlemen who I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that kind of yeah. hockey, hockey apparel crossover. They did a really cool, um, old school style, uh, Canucks, uh, like logo sort of deal. I guess you would call it like a, like a spoof logo. Uh, both me and Mikey bought it. Like as soon as like they released it, we're like, Oh, this is the coolest thing. And uh, they call it like the beret, the beret shirt. Oh um, yeah. But, uh, 
one of the things that we we had talked about a bunch, um, you know, regarding hockey apparel is how, uh, you know, in the past five years, there's been so much alternative apparel that's come out just because, you know, a lot of hockey apparel, even, you know, even as cool as some of the logos were in the nineties, it was just kind of like logo, chest a shirt, nothing else, you know? So a lot of stuff has come out recently. That's been really, really cool, really edgy, really alternative. I don't know other than like violent gentlemen, if you've gotten into any of it at all, but, um, you know, it really is great for the sport of hockey because it's kind of making it cool again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like the simplistic designs. Like, okay, I, fair I, enough. Hey, I would, I would be so more inclined to wear like a shirt that just, you know, just a, like a nice shirt that just had the logo on it. Or I love those, those hats that look like a, I remember the, the Raiders kind of made this famous, uh, but like, just like that script, like ever, it was like a generic thing that just looked like cursive yeah, exactly writing on it. Talking about. Yep. I love that stuff. I love like the real plain stuff. And like, you know, the NBA gets real crazy with the jerseys and like the gradients and stuff. And like, you know, the NFL does like the color rush stuff and whatever. Yeah. And I, I just think it gets, sometimes it gets a little busy and crazy for my taste. And you guys are talking, I didn't, I didn't see this Islanders jersey you're talking about, but I'm guessing I'd probably like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not terrible, but I, I think the whole thing is like, especially guys that are in you know, their late twenties, early thirties, like that fisherman Jersey is what we like associate with our childhood. And uh. we were like, so bummed that we just didn't get, get the fisherman because, you know, Lou Lamorello is running the ship and he is a very like old school GM. So like, right. there was no chance that he was ever going to let them do it. But once the news came out, there was always that like 1% chance, like maybe we'll get the fisherman. And then when it didn't happen, everyone was just totally bummed about it. Hey, can I ask you, you guys, so you guys are very up to date. Like you follow hockey. I I'd assume current day hockey, you follow it very closely, correct? Yes. Okay. So I would say that over the past few years or whatever, I've become pretty fair weather. I, 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 I don't watch every penguin game. Like I'll watch every Steelers game and once a playoffs start, yeah, I'm watching every game, but I'm paying attention to the standings, whatever, you know, but like during the regular season, 82 games, I, I can't, I can't watch 82 games. <laughs> it's just too much for me. Uh, but what are, are, are the penguins done? Are we done? Cause that play, that, that, that was a really bad showing last, last playoffs. That was you know, very you, bad. When you have superstars like Crosby and Melkin, like, you know, the, the window's small, like, to, to be able to, yeah. to pay top end talent and, you know, also get some, some younger guys under contract. It's, it's really tough to do with, with a cap, like the cap error is it's tough to right. have a dynasty team. And, and you guys have, have wrote it out as long as, as you really can with those two superstars. And, you know, Crosby's getting old. He has some, some health issues, but it, it is crazy to see like when Crosby goes down, Evgeny Melkin just steps in and like takes over the team. He also gives the puck away a lot. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a way more of a Crosby guy than, than a Malkin. I love them both. Like, of course. And I have to say this real quick before I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, dude, in my lifetime, I've got to see five Stanley cups. So I can't complain about anything. Like I'm, I'm so lucky that my favorite team has won five Stanley cups gone, gone six times, won five of them. 
So uh, I can't complain about anything, but it does seem like uh, it might be the end of the road for the Penguins for now, and it might be some rebuilding for a while. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. They're, they're on like a, I guess you could say they're on a bit of a downward trend, but you know, even though Crosby's getting old and you know, Malkin's up there too, I think he's 33 or 34 himself. Um, you know, you, you can never count those guys out because if you get a healthy Sid and a healthy, you know, Malkin and they're firing on all cylinders, I mean, them alone, those two guys alone right. can really make an impact on, on the ice. And I mean, you know, then you guys have got you know, uh, you know, you've got Gensel and, uh, you know, still got Latang, and, you know, some, some guys in there. Would I say that you guys are kind of front running at this point? Probably not. And the other thing that's a little scary is, I mean, you guys have Crosby locked down and like for another like five or six years, which is going to put him at like 37, 38, which is, you know, kind of wild for someone who, who plays the way he does. So I don't know. It'll, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but, I think that the um, the you know the East in general, um, once the season kind of perks back up, has a lot of interesting dynamic to it. Uh, you know, we you know, the Rangers obviously have a, a, a phenom in Lafreniere who they drafted. Uh, the Devils made a lot of moves. The Flyers have a really you know not to you know they have a gritty team. Ha ha ha. You know. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, and then the Lightning are still uh, a, a powerhouse. And uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting season uh, when it, uh, you know, when we finally get some hockey again. But I wouldn't, you know, the Penguins are one of those teams that are that are sneaky. You know, it, if at the end of the day, they're able to shed some of their cap and, uh, you know, get some guys developed, they could easily go on another run again. Yeah, don't count them out. Hey, and also, do you guys think it's surprising like how long dudes play hockey for being such a long grind of a season and for how physical the game is dudes like look at Yarmer Yager like mm-hmm. the, the dude played playing. forever yeah, yeah he's like, still playing somewhere in Russia <laughs> yeah like how it just I could maybe see how dudes could do it in baseball obviously I see how dudes could do it but and in, in, in football, you see like, do like, it's very rare unless you're Tom Brady or Larry Fitzgerald that, that you're going to play until you're 40 or whatever. But in hockey, it seems to happen a good bit for, for how crazy the sport is. I honestly think that it goes back to the fact that most of these guys that do play in the NHL are from Canada and mm-hmm. they truly love the game of hockey. Like they, they'll play hockey as long as they can. And a lot of these guys then go and play in men's leagues like back home. And it's like they just don't want to stop playing hockey because they truly love it. And I, I don't right. want to speak on the other sports, but I, I, I just think like, you know, in Canada, hockey is the religion like that's their sport. And, you know, I, I think that's what it comes back to. True. Cool. Good point. Now, I guess a good way to transition this into a little punchline talk is you guys have an album, 37 Everywhere, Mm -hmm. because you guys say that like 37 pops up literally everywhere, the number 37. Do you have a favorite Pittsburgh Penguin to wear the number 37? Dude, you know what? Uh, Who even? I, I, I don't even. I. It's crazy. I. Especially '90s Penguins, I could name everybody who wore everything. 
I'm trying to think of who even wore 37. It's not that great of a list. Like some names. Do, that, do you know who it? Do you know who they are? Get, get, I give have me it. some of them. So like, I want to know. Kit Miller kind of stands out to me as a pretty uh. decent player that wore 37. And then like the list after our Rutu wore it, but that's not the good okay. Rutu, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, that's not. That's not christian root <laughs> yeah, so yeah that's not the good one and then like yeah. we there is the tie that you might not even recognize this penguin's name brian Strait, but he was yeah yeah i know brian Strait. yeah so yeah. brian Strait is like because he also then went to play on the new york islanders and he was the new york islanders scapegoat for the longest time like yeah whenever the team lost like even if brian Strait played four minutes and didn't really even do anything wrong <laughs> Islander fans would always be like, "Oh, it's because we got Brian Strait on the team." Like, right. <laughs> and thir- thirty-seven seems kind of like a goalie number, but I can't even. It's yeah, it's really weird that I can't think of many. I, I wore thirty-seven for a while as a player in high school, <laughs> Did you but really? uh, yeah, I was a goalie, so it it, it made sense. But uh, yeah, it's weird. It's not really that that popular of it's no 35 in hockey or whatever you know yeah. or, so like uh, i i there is a current penguin that wears it sam lafferty I, I believe oh he, dude he's, he's that pretty dude's, decent that dude's from johnstown pennsylvania which is like not that far away from where i live and he plays for the penguins which is pretty cool like you know i saw people were excited about that i think i think that's him yeah yeah it is because you were thirty. yeah because you were 37 right right yeah yeah he's all right yeah, so I it it just I guess uh, a a smooth transition. So where yeah. where are some <laughs> of the other cool places that you have seen the number thirty seven that like you guys started to like notice that it really was everywhere? I mean, I think we saw it just in everyday life. Like, kind of saw it on clocks, on license plates, on you you know uh, at the on grocery receipts and stuff like that, and then. You know, the this is completely unrelated, and I swear to you, we did not start seeing it because of this. But another person who really believes in the 37 thing and uses it in his movies is Kevin Smith. Um, okay. And, like, if you watch, like, Clerks or, like, all those movies that I don't really know if they hold up that well now. Like, but uh, he was, like, a big 37 guy. And, dude, I still see it in movies. Like, at big movies, like, Shawshank Redemption and Forrest Gump and and Days and Confused and like like Boogie Nights. They're, they're, if you watch these movies, all these like very famous movies, at one point or another, you're going to see like Forrest Gump wearing the number thirty seven, or you're going to see uh, Shawshank Redemption there on their prison u- uniforms starts with a thirty seven. Like it's just in in movies and TV, it's crazy. And I read something about like why that is like this phenomenon of the number thirty seven. And the explanation that I saw someone make on the internet, I can't even cite where it was from, but it kind of made sense to me, is that the, when you, it sounds like such a random number. Like, if you were going to say, like, name a random number, it just, it, it often pops into people's heads because it's like, it's a prime number. It's not like a multiple of something. It's like, just. Dude, I'm a fourth grade teacher number. and I literally taught like prime and composite in multiples today. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. so funny that you just dropped that. Kudos yeah, to you. 30, Good job. Thirty-seven is one of my favorite. Pri- <laughs> it's my favorite prime number. <laughs> there you go. I think something about thirty-seven. Now that I'm thinking about it, and I'm like drawing it in the air, right? Is you've got 
like a, a, a more circular number in, in a three that has, you know, the, the two semicircles. Then you've got a seven, which is one of the more angular numbers, right? Yeah. So it's almost like, I guess in terms of writing it, like it's, it's a double digit number that happens to kind of have the, what makes numbers in general, um, like interesting in terms of, of writing them and the actual calligraphy of writing them. Right. So, I mean, you've got the rounded and the angular right next to each other. And then, I mean, you know, three and seven equals 10, 10 is just like a super popular number, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, that's something that I, I, I never thought about. I, I happen to always see consecutive numbers. I feel like every time I look at the clock, you know, so like, I'll just like look at my watch or look at my phone and all of a sudden it's just like, you know, one, two, three or 1234 right. or three forty five or something weird like that. I don't know, man. Yeah. Everything. I, it's kind of like when I, I guess part of the point of it is that when someone points it out and like we like on a grand scale named an album that (laughs) so kind of like pointed it out to a lot of people at once. And like, still to this day, people send us pictures and whatever, like, you know, screenshots and, and like, Oh my God, I see it too. We just, so we just released uh, this music special on Amazon prime. Oh yeah. And, and we have a little, a little section about it in there, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, a little fun part of punchline culture for us. So let's talk yeah. about that music special because I I watched it and nice. Let's talk hacky sack, man. I saw I saw oh, you guys yeah. playing hacky sack throughout the whole <laughs> music special. Are you guys still avid hacky sack hacky sackers? What do you what do you call yourselves? Absolutely, we hack every chance <laughs> every chance we get, and I just can't believe how, how much hack footage there ended up being. In oh, special, so which much, is, which was, is really funny. I, I thought I was yeah. watching a documentary from the '90s. I was like, man. Where do you even buy a hacky sack these days? From Punchline. We got our own hacky sacks. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, people probably think that we're being funny about it or something, but like we actually really like it. And what I like about it is that, first of all, it's great for killing time. You know, if you come go to the club, you load in, then you got to kill two or three hours. It's a little bit of like exercise. And what another thing about it I like is you're working as a team. You just want to keep that hack going, you know, and I don't know how much you guys have hacky sack, but a hack, when I say a hack, that means that everybody touches it at least once. So it's like, if the three of us were playing, I, I kick it to you. I, I kick it to one of you guys, you kick it to the other and kick it back to me. That's one hack. So you want to get as many hacks for your team before it hits the ground is the idea. And so you, so we'll be like, we're, we're not going to stop playing until we get five hacks or whatever, or something like that. And, uh, and it's also great if you have a long drive, it's three in the morning and you have to keep driving, you pull over to a rest stop and you need to get your blood pumping again, get out of the van and hack. It's more effective than coffee or Red Bull. Well, the combo of both is good, but, uh, yeah, I'm all about hacking, man. I think it's great. Amen. So let's talk a little more about that music special. Um, not a documentary, but a music special. No. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I personally love that. And it brought me back to like the early two thousands when a lot of bands did this kind of like, not a music documentary, not just like music videos, not just a live performance, but they had just like quirky little clips that they mixed together. And, you know, a lot of times if you bought like a B side, there would be this kind of footage that you don't see as often now. So like when you guys drop that, I was like, Ooh, I want to check this out. This is like 
you know, bring me back to to the the good old days. And you know, you you guys mentioned that you would love to see other bands start making their own music specials. Like, I guess yeah. where 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 did this whole uh, idea come from? And like, who spearheaded it? I guess tell me a little bit about that. So in our earlier days, we did a couple of those that you're talking about. We put out a DVD called the Rewind DVD, and it went along with this EP that we put out called the Rewind EP. And this was like in 2002 or so. Yeah, right around there. And it was just like a fun mix of like live music and I don't know, sketch comedy at our (laughs) whatever we could pull off in that sort of thing and kind of like the story of our band and people kind of got to know us through Mm -hmm. that. So, um, we made that and that actually, that became like really popular among people that liked our band. And that was actually a big part of what helped us get signed to a record label. And, uh, and then once we released our album action, we had like a certain, I think it was like the first couple thousand of them, whatever came with a DVD called the action DVD, which was the same sort of thing, like just fun stuff mixed with live music and things like that. And it, it definitely helped. Um, it, it helped us as people, uh, if this makes any sense, resonate with people more or like showed our personality that we were, that we were, I don't know, normal people that like to have fun and, and that what we were doing, <laughs> what we were doing was real and from the heart, I think. And, and not just some like, I don't know. I, it, I, I don't know if that's what it was about it, but I just think that people got to see our personality is what I'm getting at. Absolutely. And yeah, and that helps. And, and that's a, and that's great just because you, you kind of love that. You know, when you, when you start to really connect with music, uh, you know, and you don't know much about who's writing the music. You just kind of ascertain who they are based on the sentiment of what you're, you're listening to in their lyrics, but then you actually get to right. kind of see them even in, in the element of, you know, like you guys, you know, going around playing shows and, you know, kind of getting to have a little bit of fun and be jokey. It really helps build that connection between artists and listeners, because sometimes you don't get that. I mean, like, you know, I think one of the things that, if you look way back to the, to the Beatles, right. You know, the Beatles were just, you know, they, they made all of this incredible music, but then they started making movies and all this stuff. And all of their fans got to see this other dimension of the right. Beatles. And it almost made them feel closer to them. And I, I guess that's kind of echoing what you're saying there. Absolutely, man. I mean, you give people something to latch onto. And I think, I think the same about podcasts, actually, I oh, love yeah. podcasts. And I think that, you know, people, the podcast that I listen to, I feel like I know the people. I feel like I'm friends with them because yeah. like, and, and I think that that's the, the, the same sort of idea when you put stuff out there like a music special or, you know, even if it's not all put together as one thing, if you're releasing things for people to see your personality and going back to what you said, it's like, um, knowing that this music you're listening to and the lyrics and that it's authentic and it's coming from the heart and it's not just written by some like producer in a studio. Like it's not some, some fake ass thing. You know, it's like real that, that, that I like that as a fan of music and a fan of anything. I like that. So I would assume that people would like that about us. So it makes sense to me. (laughs) Now I just have one other question about that music special. 
Where was sure. that filmed? Because that looked like the coolest music venue I've ever seen. Yeah. Is yeah, that, that in was, Pittsburgh? Yeah. So we filmed that at a place called Spirit in Pittsburgh. And it doesn't always look like that. So oh, okay. <laughs> by chance, at the time, Steve was living in Pittsburgh and his upstairs neighbor, this guy named Ian, uh, he built that. It's called The Vault is the name. It's like an, it's like an art piece. And he is kind of like a genius. I mean, <laughs> with lights, and he's a very interesting guy. You've never met anything anybody like Ian before. He and oh, dude, let me tell you this: he's also the best hacky sacker I've ever seen, <laughs> ever seen. Like he is amazing at hacky sack. Does he the do like the crossover moves and all dude, that? You wouldn't believe the stuff this guy can do with the <laughs> hacky sack, which was such a weird connection we had with him. Is he's like. Cause he asked us, he's like, are you guys serious? You guys seriously hacky sack. And he's like, and he told us a story about how he spent like a decade of his life, just dedicated to hacky sack. And he's amazing at it. And he's like, but I, I think he like, wasn't that happy about the fact that he spent all that time getting real good at hacky sack. But then when we said, Hey, we hack all the time, he was like totally psyched about it anyway <laughs> for like a month at that club spirit every year he puts up this vault and there will be like DJs will come in and do sets there. And I think a few bands here and there, but that just happened to be there at the time we wanted to film our thing. And we were like, this is so perfect. This is amazing. It worked out this way. Cause it looks amazing. Oh my God. It's, yeah. It's like the, the, I would like to play inside of the vault for the rest of my life, you know? And on top of that, he, he programmed the lights. Like he got the songs ahead of time and programmed them to go to match the feel of the music, you know? So that, Unbelievable. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, dude, awesome. well done. And, you know, if you haven't checked it out yet, it is on Amazon Prime. So definitely go and check out the Punchline music special. Yes, yeah. please. So I have a, a quick question for you, just about the, um, kind of the totality of, 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 uh, of pop punk. And here's kind of how it goes. So 2004, you guys put out, uh, action, right? So action comes yep. out again, you know, uh, at the beginning of this, um, of this, you know, interview, I talked about how, how, how great of a record it is. It's still, you know, one of my favorite releases that you guys have done. Thank and you. then, um, you know, two years later, you guys put out 37 everywhere, but in, so looking at fuel by ramen alone, right? So mm -hmm. in between when action comes out and when you guys release 37 everywhere, here's a couple of records that came out almost here by the Academy is. All we know is falling by Paramore. Yep. From under the cork tree by Fallout. Yep. <laughs> yep. And um, and like I said, and 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 that's just fueled by ramen. So in that time, in that span of two years, some of these records come out. Oh, and how could I forget? A fever you can't sweat out by Panic at the Disco, right? So yep. <laughs> so all of these records that are like game changers for pop punk come out in between you writing and releasing these two records. So if you can kind of give me a little bit of, um, of a, like a, of, of kind of like a, how it felt then versus two years later. So when you guys put out action versus when you guys put out 37 everywhere and just how the scene felt in general between those two records for you guys. I mean, we saw in the time that we put out albums on Feel by ramen, we saw it go from one, room office space in Gainesville to a giant operation like it we saw it blow up 
And, you know, it's, I, I, I think it's credit to a lot of great music. It, it was just, it was, the, the, they were signing all the right bands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will, I will say this, that, that Fuel by Ramen then got this reputation going as being a cool record label. And there was some um, bands that were already on major labels, but wanted to look like they they wanted to get some indie cred first. So they already had the big (laughs) they already had the big bucks of promotion for their albums. And that's nothing. That's not taking anything away from the music. The music, all all those albums you named are great. Like Mm -hmm. they're undeniably great like and 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 those bands and artists went on to make even better music so it's not nothing against that but there was a there was an influx of money behind <laughs> that too which doesn't hurt you know sure, if you're able if you're able to capitalize on that and, and at the time and, and realize like oh this is really great I, I looking back on it you know i feel like at the time we had a reasonable amount of envy of that. But now when I look, when I look back on it, I'm just glad we could be a part of it, <laughs> a part of that, like excitement and, and a part of like a, a great time for our world of music. So I guess to, to bring that back to that time period, uh, personally, I caught you guys in 2003 on Long Island at the downtown it was oh, you yeah. guys, Amberlynn, and Fallout Boy. And nice. honestly, if you are following like the lineage of Fallout Boy, you know, that's before From Under the Cork Tree comes out, which like blows them the hell up, like huge, like mainstream kind of stuff. Like that was probably one of the last tours that Fallout Boy could play a venue of that size. Like what what do you remember? And I asked the same question to Nate from Amberlynn. Like, what do you remember about that tour? Like you probably were watching fallout boy literally blow up before your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did a few tours with them back then. I mean, we went to Japan together. We did all kinds of stuff. Um, we did, they did their first ever tour with us and we did. What's funny is, is that, so we booked our half, all the places we did well, like we, you know, we did Pittsburgh, we did, uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania, we did Philly, we did Boston, we did whatever, all places that we did pretty well. And then they booked their half, which the Chicago show was great. And then I remembered one of the shows they booked uh, was at this place in Detroit where there were literally three people at the show, three people at the show. So I played a show in front of three people with fallout boy. Uh, So yeah, I definitely saw it happen. I saw it happen fast. I saw it, it blow up and it was, it was crazy to see that. And I saw it with other bands we toured with too, where it's like, you're touring and you're seeing the shows get bigger as the tour goes on by the tour, by that tour you're talking about, um, they had already got, they already had a lot of momentum at that point. And, uh, and yeah, you were seeing a, 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 a band blow up before your eyes and they weren't the only band that we saw do that while on tour with them. I mean, we saw it for a lot of bands we were friends with and toured with and stuff. And it's, uh, it, if, you know, th- those sort of bands, we, didn't reach that same sort of heights with our band. Not that we don't still strive to like reach as many people as possible with our music, but uh, you know, it, it, the one thing I'll say about it is it made you, you know, we were selling a lot of albums. <laughs> like 
I we remember so- I bought action on that tour. I mean, be, be, beyond our wildest dreams amount of albums with action and 37 everywhere. But the fact of the matter was that we were seeing these bands around us selling like astronomical amounts of albums. So it, it made our accomplishments feel like, oh, we're not doing enough or whatever. When in fact, like, I know that in the, I, I know when we signed to Field by Ramen that I remember that we were told that the most that an album had ever sold on Feel by Ramen was like 6,000 copies. And <laughs> we saw, we signed to Feel by Ramen having already self-released and sold out of our van on tour, 10,000 copies of an album. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, so we saw it go from that. I think it may have been like the impossibles or something. I forget what album it even was, but, uh, you know, and, and that was good. And that was a lot of albums, you know, for like an ind- for a small independent record label or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, we saw a, 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 a giant shift to, uh, you know, that that went from like a punk rock indie thing to like the mainstream pop audience uh, that I never even saw. Like that was, you know, when you saw Fall Out Boy and, and those bands passing up the bands that we we liked saves a day and and. um the get up kids and bands like that. Well, fallout boy and, the, and Paramore and all those bands eclipsed those bands that we, we viewed as huge, you yeah. know? So, so that was wild, you know, it was crazy. Absolutely. And then, um, so I have another question, uh, I guess going, um, going a little bit forward in your lineage, uh, when you and Steve, uh, decided to kind of start your own imprint in modern short stories, um, you know, what, cause I know, obviously, you know, modern short stories, you did a you know, couple of punchline records, but you did some other stuff along the way as well. Um, what was it like starting a record label essentially and, uh, getting that off the ground? I, I think- I'm sure that's gotta be something that's a, a, just a tremendous undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we did that mainly to release our own uh, music. We did release some some other bands and artists music along the way as well. But um, I think that it was just, we were learning as we went. And I think that when we started that, it was the be- the very beginnings of the transition. The transition meaning from everyone buying CDs and physical media to streaming everything. Yep. You know, that's yeah. like the, the starts of that. Like that's when people were still at least buying things on iTunes, I guess, but you were starting to see a lot less of the physical, uh, and a lot more of the digital versions of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, at that point when we started that, it's crazy. We, we, our contract with Fuel by Ramen at that time, when we started that, that's, we, we started it with our album, just say yes, but our contract was up and I believe they said like, you, we can, we'll, we'll release your, your next album. And I kind of think we felt like a very small fish in a very big pond at that, at that point, they just, they just had these enormous bands and we just felt like, nah, you know what? We, we want to do our own thing. We think that, and, and I don't know if that was the right decision or not looking back, but, but regardless, we wanted to try, try it ourselves. And we, it's funny, like we got the money to be able to afford to like go record the album we wanted to make and to be able to like press it and things like that because we won we spent months like 
there was this website called heavy.com, which was like a video website that was like trying to compete with YouTube. But I don't think it really <laughs> did, but they got like nine artists to like be in this contest who could get the most views on all their videos that they put out uh, over the course of like two months or something. So we, and, and the winner would get $25,000 and we were all about it. And we, you know, we had a, a strong fan base and we, we used uh, MySpace <laughs> to the, its fullest potential in our mailing list. And we were constantly like making content, making videos. And uh, we ended up winning. And we used that money to record an album and to, to start this, you know, small independent record label. And I think we learned a lot as we went. And I think the main thing I learned is that um, anything you want done right, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> and I also think that like, there's a lot of things that go with running a record label that aren't uh, that particular area of music is not something I personally want to deal with. <laughs> there's a lot of things I want to do creatively, but there's a lot of like um, uh, everyday type things like in, in when it comes to our music, we still self-release our own music. So we are our own record label, but to have other bands and artists depending on you for that, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. And I wouldn't want to let anybody down in that regards. And so that, that's how I feel about that. You know, I, I think that, I think it's great that people, uh, especially now, like it's hard to run a record label now. <laughs> like you have to, you gotta, it's hard to make money off of the actual music itself. It's the money comes from touring, which, you know, that sucks. Can't do that right now. Oh, yeah. And, and in finding other creative ways to make money, because the fact of the matter is you're not going to sell five or $10 CDs out of a, you're not going to sell 50 of those at a show like you could <laughs> before we used to walk around after a show, especially if we were a support on, you know, a support slot on a bigger tour, we'd play, we'd walk around with a box of CDs and sell them to people, you know, and, and, and then we, that paid for a hotel and our gas and our food and things like that. Well, now you, you can't really do that. I mean, people buy record, you know, vinyl collectors and stuff like that, but that's not as, as big of a thing, you know? So, yeah. And I, I that quick question about that too, cause you know, action, I, I remember having a, a copy of action on vinyl myself and then I ended up like selling all my records and, um, I, you know, I went to, to just out of curiosity, see if I can find one again. And, you know, copies of action are like 150 bucks now, just so you know. but, <laughs> nice. um, but just out of curiosity, I mean, I know that that was a, um, you know, something that, uh, TDR, you know, released in conjunction with you guys. And I think even fueled by ramen. Um, but for those that don't know me included, how does that work in terms of you guys getting like revenue share and getting paid off of that? Like, is that something that like you guys saw money from or is that really something that only the label saw saw anything from you know a lot of times when you do a limited edition of vinyl you're gonna you're gonna make a little bit of money off of it and like but in the end what you're doing is like you're making this cool collectible thing mm. that that you're glad you have <laughs> and <laughs> uh if you're taylor swift and you're selling a hundred thousand copies of the record. Yeah. You're going to make money on it. But like, if you're making like a limited edition, 500 copies or a thousand copies, mm -hmm. I think keeping it limited edition is what makes it cool for the fans and for you that there's only so many of these out there. And, Oh, I got to say real quick, TDR records rules. <laughs> uh, my, our friend Mike runs that, uh, independent record label out of Illinois. And he does such an awesome job with like the layouts of records, puts like a lot of care into it. 
and just like we've we've done like re-releases of things that never were released on vinyl with Mike many times. He's awesome. And he always does an amazing job. But as far as like how much money you're going to make on that. Yeah. I mean, we have to, those albums were released on Feel by Ramen. So you, you pay a certain amount to uh, like their cut of it up front. Yeah. Basically you can be like, okay, we're going to make 500 copies of this. So you got to pay whatever, say it. I don't know what the, the number is. Say it's $1,500 or something. Okay. You, yep. You pay, pay that up front. You consider that part of your, uh, production costs or whatever. But I mean, sure. once it's all, once it's all said and done, your band might make, if you sell all 500 copies, your band might make a couple thousand dollars or something, which that's, that's fine. That's cool. But like divided by what <laughs> all the, the guys or whatever, which, you know, every dollar we've made, make in our band kind of just goes back into our band. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, there's not, it's not a big moneymaker. It's more of like, you're making this cool collectible thing that, that you yourself want a copy of. Like, I'm glad I have action on vinyl. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, something that I wish that I could get a physical copy of is the dead and dreaming comp that you guys did uh, way yeah. back when, like, tell me about that because I even tried to find that on Spotify and I couldn't find the full album. Like, I feel like that is an underrated comp that was so well done. And like a lot of those covers are better than the originals. Oh, that's a bold statement. <laughs> Dude, but so like uh, the I don't even like the band that did Holiday in Spain. I don't even uh, know who they are. Like I, I forget the name of that band, and I just remember that being such a, a well done cover. Oh, oh, it's a it's a great it's a great comp. I was just I'm just such a Counting Crows fan. That's why. That's, oh, okay. why, that's why. That's why I said that. But um. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is we had been covering round here forever. Like we, we love as a band, love the County Crows, like one of our favorite bands, like collectively. And, um, especially that album, especially August and everything after, like that's, if you had to ask me like what my favorite album of all time is, it, that might be my answer. And, uh, we've been playing that cover forever. And then I'm not going to take credit for this, but our friend, Jesse, she is the one who put out that, that, that album. And I do believe that we may have been the inspiration for that, uh, for that whole comp. And, uh, cause we, we were already covering that and she obviously also loved counting crows and yeah, it is, it is a really good comp, man. And, and you know what else is funny about it? It's called dead and dreaming, mm -hmm. but the actual counting crows lyric in, in the song, which that's from the song, um, uh, angels of the silence Angels and silences yeah. yeah is dead and dreaming it's not dead and dreaming so so the whole title of the comp is kind of like a misheard lyric <laughs> and, and which is pretty funny and, dude another thing similar to that that i just learned yesterday is uh you know i'm obviously i'm a huge less than jake fan and like obviously I'm, i work with chris to makes on a lot of stuff and but yeah. They have a song, Scott Farkas Takes It on the Chin, which is actually my favorite less than Jake song. And yesterday, my friend Jonathan told me, he went, do you know that, that it's actually in A Christmas Story? It's Scott Farkas. It's not Scott Farkas. It's S-C-U-T. That's actually his name in the credits. Scott <laughs> Farkas. So, so that's another like misheard thing that is actually like now the name of a song. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, like Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> so, um I I guess um to 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 bring it all full circle, you know, you you did mention that you are 
now producing Chris's podcast. So like, how did that come about? Like, did he approach you? Did you know anything about podcasting at that time? Because I, I feel like a lot of people during the this pandemic were like, I'm home, I'm stuck, I have all this extra time. Let me jump into to making a podcast. Like, or I guess like I've, how did that come about? I've been podcasting since the dawn of podcast of podcasting. Um, when I first found out what it was, we were on tour a lot, and I was just all about all about doing whatever, like at the time, anything you could do, especially like to give stuff to the people that like your band. So back when I first found out what a podcast was, I instantly started making one in the van when we'd be on tour and I call it the Chris Fafalius white van podcast. We probably, (laughs) probably did like 30 episodes of it. I can't find the episodes anywhere, which pisses me off. Like I lost them all. I think, I think you guys ever have a hard drive go bad. It's the worst thing ever. Oh yeah, that's terrible, dude, dude. I think I lost all the episodes. I because I stopped paying to host the the episodes after a while, like years later. Anyway, that was my first foray into podcasting, and then um, years later, for for years and years, uh, I did a podcast with my with Steve from Punchline's brother Mike. We did a podcast called Men in Their Thirties Only, which <laughs> which 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 was just all we did for 90 episodes and those are still out there. You can look that up and it's, it's a fun listen. If, if you're in your thirties or if you're anybody, we called we called it men in their thirties only a podcast for everyone. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just, um, him and I, and he just spilled his guts on this podcast. Like, dude, I can't tell you how much he would just talk about his personal life, like name names. And like, to the point where it was like a soap opera (laughs) of like him, like just be people calling people out, doing whatever. And it was fun, man. It was funny. Uh, but we did that. Like we have like, I think close to 90 episodes of that out there did that for years. And that was a lot of fun. And then, um, and then my friend, Matt Kelly, who's part of this network geekscape, uh, he approached me about doing a podcast called One Hit Thunder, which we've done close to 50 episodes of now. We put one out every Wednesday uh, where we break down one hit wonders. And basically, there's a different guest every week and the guest picks a one hit wonder. And we we dig deeper into their catalog of music to decide if that band does. Basically, if that band was a one hit blunder or if they brought the one hit thunder is basically the idea behind it. Like, is this band actually good or is this garbage? You know, like, like a band that's actually good. Mighty Mighty Boston's are considered a one hit wonder, but that band rules. Uh, or you have uh, crazy town butterfly. That is the worst. <laughs> that is the, the worst <laughs> shit ever. Like that shouldn't have been, that shouldn't have been a big song or whatever. So uh, it's, it's a lot, it's a very fun podcast, but that all leads me to, to, my point being that I've been in the podcast game for a very long time. And, uh, I, Chris hit me up. He does Chris from lesson. Jake hit me up. Uh, he does custom songwriting and, and consultations and all kind of stuff. And he wanted, I do animation and he hit me up about doing a, um, just like a little one minute long animated video as a commercial for his songwriting business. Like, yeah, sure, man. We've known each other, you know, lesson Jake, obviously has been very cool to punchline for so long, been our friends for a long time. We had just toured with them in 2019. Um, and he had seen something that I'd done for, actually it was a commercial I did for a less than Jake bowling for soup, 
uh, tour where Bowling for Soup hired me to do the commercial. And I, so I drew Chris and I drew the Less Than Jake guys talking to the Bowling for Soup guys. Uh, that's beside the point. Anyway, Chris, <laughs> I made this video for Chris. And then he, then he started asking me like, well, how do I, do you think I should like, you know, spend money boosting the, the posts of this? Or like, how do you think I should promote this? And I said, dude, you ever thought about doing a podcast? And he's like, yeah, he's like, but everybody does a podcast, which that's what a lot. That's what a lot of people say. And I was like, well, yeah, but everybody's not you. I mean, that would be, I feel like that'd be like telling somebody like, Hey man, you're really good at music. You should maybe start a band and be like, everybody starts a band. Well, yeah, <laughs> but they're not you. And, and then, you know, I was like, you should do a podcast. Like you do custom songs and, you, and you're obviously a songwriter. You should do a podcast about songwriting and you know, a lot of people, you can get a lot of good guests. And then, you know, at first he considered it and then he hit me back the next day. He's like, you know what? I really want to do that. You know, will you help me do that? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then here we are, we're like 30 episodes in and we've had like amazing, <laughs> like we've oh, had yeah. so many amazing guests, everybody from Mark Hoppus to Rick Nielsen to, uh, you know, like everybody you can imagine, like from our, with Matt Skiba, we had, uh, Ryan key and they're all talking about all these like huge songs. And, um, it's been just really cool and fun. And like through that, I now manage him. <laughs> and, uh, it's just been like in a year where, um, the pandemic has made it really hard to pursue creative endeavors, especially if that involves playing live. Uh, I feel like it's been a really, really creative and rewarding thing that we've done together that, uh, has led to a lot of other things, man. It, it, it's, it's helped in everything. You know, it's a, it's a good way for less than Jake had a new album come out today. It's a, it's a good way. And to it rules. Yeah. It's, it's great. So good. I it's love great. it, man. And it's a good but, way for me to promote punchline and whatever, and all these things. Like, it's just, it's great. And it's like, like we said er, earlier on, and you guys know that people feel like they know you better. And then we have a, we have a Facebook group where we interact with people every day and it's like, you get to know people as well. And I just think it's a fun community sort of thing, you know? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, and, um, so I, <laughs> I've been waiting to bring this up for like the whole, the whole time we've been talking and this just seems like a great time to do it. So, you know, there are plenty of bands out there, you know, in, in today's culture that just, just love Pennsylvania, right? There's, wonder years they just you know they love talking about philly and then there's you know title fight and you know they love talking about you know where they're from in kingston and all this stuff but then there's keystoned oh which yeah might be which <laughs> might be the best love song to pennsylvania that i think exists hey man i i'm not gonna tutor and hoard about keystone but here's what i'm gonna say about it <laughs> first of all we're we're not just talking we love pittsburgh but we're not just talking about pittsburgh we're talking about as a state yep. <laughs> and um, what our intentions were with that. And if you look at the liner notes of the album, delightfully pleased, you'll see, we put it in there is that we were trying to write the state song of Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> and, and if you listen to what anybody who's listening to this, including you, including you guys go look at what, go to YouTube and type Pennsylvania state song. It is a polka song from like the 1920s or even or like the 1900s or something. And it is terrible. It is a terrible song. And I feel like Keystone is like, once again, not tooting our own horn, but it's a pretty good, uplifting, positive song about Pennsylvania. Like that, I, I didn't, we asked people to write Harrisburg 
and say like, this should be the new state song. <laughs> that was, that was our whole intention with that song was like, what if we wrote the new state song of Pennsylvania? And we gave it our best shot, man. <laughs> I think, I think that my favorite thing about it is right, right before the, you know, you've got a friend in Pennsylvania, like the, the end of it, you, <laughs> you talk about how Pittsburgh has more bridges than any other city, but not Venice. Yeah, not counting sure Venice. To, you made sure to put that in there, like <laughs> repping, but right. not not Truth. Venice. Though. We keep it. We we keep our facts. We keep our facts straight. We are very oh, factually factually sound. But I will tell you this, and I haven't checked. I think this 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 changes, and I I didn't. I should have checked it before this uh, podcast. But I think that Pittsburgh actually passed up Venice. I, at some point, they did, and maybe Venice passed us back up again. I don't know, but I at some know. point. At some point after we recorded that, Pittsburgh did become number one. And and I think if you figure out that Pittsburgh becomes you know became number one in bridges, I think that means you've got to re-record this song and you've got to make it right. Yeah. <laughs> because take, if this this has any chance of being out. The, yeah right exactly this has any chance of being the Pennsylvania national anthem that it should be, it's got to be accurate. And if you guys passed up Venice, man, you gotta you gotta gotta make it real. I just I had to bring that up, man, because I. I you know, I just, I've, I've always thought it's such a great song. And like, yes. I remember the first time I heard it just being like, wow, like these guys just like love where they come from. And it's such a stark, stark contrast because like for such a long time, like the, the pop punk ethos was like, I hate, I hate my city. Like I hate my town. I got to leave yeah. my town. Like I hate it. And here you guys are, you know, writing like a, a love letter to Pennsylvania. And I just thought it was incredible. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. And to bring it to bring it absolutely full circle, I think that once we become number one in bridges again, we will also become number one in hockey again. I think oh, that's absolutely. I think that's the key. <laughs> I think I think what you guys really need to do is I think you need to 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 get those instruments back in your hands and just like write like a like a like a penguin's anthem. Yeah. And uh, oh, you, you... dude, I have a terrible story about that. Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta leave you with this story, man. Um, <laughs> So in, dude, what year was it? Oh, it was after the Pens had won the cup. Okay, no, I know it. Okay, so after the Pens won the cup in 2008, that year after, okay, um, somebody from the Penguins organization hit us up and said and asked us to cover uh, What a Wonderful World. The, you know, the, the uh, who sings it? You know, the, the classic Louis Armstrong, yeah, Louis yeah. Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world because they wanted to use it for the upcoming season penguins, uh, like commercials on TV. And we were like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, and so we went and recorded what I believe is a very good version of it, which is on YouTube. If you search it on YouTube punchline, what a wonderful world, you can find it. And, um, we made it like real, like, rocking and like would sound perfect like playing in an arena you know it's it's like i'm very i'm i'm proud of it it's good and so we we recorded it they they paid us to record it i mean they paid for the recording i think they gave us like 500 bucks to go record it or something and uh so imagine me you know none of the other guys in the band cared that much about that but i really cared about that i'm like oh my god we're gonna be on the the upcoming season like it was like, and the Penguins had just won the Stanley Cup. So on top of that, it wasn't just like, oh, the, the Penguins upcoming season with highlights and, and whatever. It was also, they won the Stanley Cup. And um, 
so, dude, I was so excited. And then we got news that after we recorded, submitted it, there's this band, and I'm not going to drag them, okay? But they're called the Clarks, and they're from Pittsburgh, and they're like this very well-known band in Pittsburgh. And they're very, um, they're not a punk band. They're very um, uh, kind of like alternative rock, like very 90s, kind of like with a little bit of like Southern influence. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. It's very like bar rock, I guess would be a way to put it. And they're nice guys. They're nice guys. But man, did I hate them because, (laughs) and and it wasn't their fault. But they, after we submitted the song, they said, I, I, you know, like, we're really sorry, but um, we actually got the Clarks to do it. We're like, oh man. And you know, recently I went back and I listened to their version of it and their version of it's pretty good. But like I, I, and here's what absolutely broke my heart, man, is that I got tickets to the Penguins home opener that year after they'd won the Stanley cup. It's like the game where they're going to like raise the banners and stuff. Okay. And so we're sitting in our seats and all the lights go out in the arena. And then on the jumbotron, what comes on? Oh man. (laughs) <laughs> the commercial comes on of all the highlights of the 2008 season playing the Clark's version of what a wonderful world that was supposed to be us. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Cause I'm at this game and I'm like, that was supposed to be us. And so that was, that's my heartbreaking story about like doing something for the penguins getting dissed. We totally got dissed. <laughs> oh my God. I, I would become a I, flyers fan after that. Yeah, man. I was bummed and I hated the Clark's. Not their fault. It's not the Clark's fault. But I, I was like, oh, man, fuck the Clark's. <laughs> and I hate but, to, like, pour salt on the wound. But you know the Clark's were probably sitting up in some luxury box that oh, night yeah, at, the, yeah. at the game, like, having the night of their lives. And then there you are. Oh, oh. Yeah, man. I know. And the Clark's, and 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 I've, I've met them since. They are, they're nice guys. <laughs> so and I just hated them at the time because I was jealous. But no, they're, they're nice guys. But you, can, you can also... You can also take solace in the fact that uh, uh, I hadn't heard of them, and I'm I'm just doing a little research on the fly. They uh, apparently they played the Winter Classic, uh, and uh, the Pens lost that game. So I guess I guess that's what you could take away from it is the Clark's you know, curse. They, yeah, the Clark's <laughs> curse exactly. So you know maybe maybe they'll ask you guys to you know to play the next outdoor game that the uh, the Penguins play, and the Penguins will end up beating whoever like twelve to nothing, and then that's all of a right. sudden. All of a sudden, they'll just be like, yeah, got to have punchline on every single time. I think we, you're on to something, man. Screwed this, man. <laughs> screwed the pooch. <laughs> uh, for sure. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, listen, um, it's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you, man. It, it, like yeah. I said, it, uh, Action was one of those records that I very vividly remember. Um, you know, when I was just, you know, 16 or 17, uh, you know, I was getting into this kind of music. And, you know, the first thing that got me into it, you know, transitioning from Blink and Green Day was, you know, all that West Coast fat wreck stuff, you know, I, I loved Lagwagon and NoFX and all that stuff. But then when I kind of started making the transition into, you know, less, you know, not all that kind of skate punky stuff, you know, Action was one of the first records that uh, that I came upon that I, I really loved. And I just vividly remember having it in this big CD book and listening to it all the time. So uh, it was really, really cool uh, to get to chat with you and talk a little bit about that, man. Yeah, of course, that. man. So talk about that record and your lineage and and talk a little bit of hockey and um, really what we're hoping is, you know, once the season starts up, hopefully you'll get some time to, to you know, to get back into the pens and, and, you know, see them do their I work will. and I we'll, will. uh, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get you on once the season starts again and we could talk, uh, 
a little bit more about, uh, you know, what's going on with the league and, and, you know, what punchline is up to, but, uh, you know, lion was such a great record, man. It was, uh, Thanks. it was, it was one of those kind of unexpected records that, uh, I remember when, you know, you, you guys had, had announced it. And I think, um, was lion, uh, was that, was that kickstarted or no? Was that, uh, no, I mean, we just, we self-funded that. I mean, a lot I mean, of that was, yeah, a lot of that was recorded our, ourselves. Uh, awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by very talented people in my band and, um, my, my bandmate, Steve played a big part in like the, the production of that. And as well as, I mean, everybody, everybody did, but Steve, I, I give, give him a lot of credit for, for that. Um, you know, especially like there's the song darkest dark. Like I, I, that it's definitely a, a, def, a different sound for us, different feel. He brought in mm-hmm. like, uh, brought in like um background singers that included they included women and it just gave it this this really like warm cool feel for us that i think was like a, a nice progression for our band and stuff so like that was a really fun album to make i'm glad you like it man i feel like yeah. there's a little little bit of a return to our roots we uh on that album and uh we just released a new song just recently called be right there which uh you know, trying to always put, push that envelope, man. And, uh, absolutely. That's, that's, that's my favorite. My favorite thing is making new music. Love to hear it, man. And and we, we are, like I said, we're, we're indebted to you for, uh, everything that, you know, punchline has done to, to really, you know, make this a community and, and make punk rock, you know, kind of accessible to everybody. So, uh, it really is awesome. So uh, again, we thank you for your time. We thank you for, for chatting with us. Oh yeah. And, uh, and the last thing I guess I got to, I, I just got to say, and then we'll, we'll let you go is, um, you know, uh, the old story goes that, you know, you said that, uh, if so nice to meet you didn't make it to number one, you were going to put the bass down. I thought that was yeah. universe. No. Yeah. That, that, that's the, uh, that's the EP it's on. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, would you put the bass down if it didn't get to number one? Ah, <sighs> I don't know, man. I'm calling I, you I, out, man. I'm calling you I, out. Uh, I, I, I felt, I feel like if I, if I had said that and not, and not followed through with it or something <laughs> that I, I don't know, I think I was at a crossroads in my life and that reminder that people cared really reinvigorated me enough for a lifetime to make music, you know? And like, I feel like at that, that crossroads, maybe I was feeling like maybe this isn't, maybe the choices I've made, maybe I need to go a different direction or whatever in my life, try something new. But like, I'm glad that that happened. And I'm glad I don't have to think about what, whatever, like, you know, it, it, it got damn close. It got damn, <laughs> damn close, you know, and what and, life uh, would have been like without the bass, but yeah, but he, dude, I I here you bass. are <laughs> 2020 still killing it, man. So, yeah. uh, and, and that, and that's the kind of story we love. So again, um, yeah. you know, we, we really, really appreciate you, uh, you, you hanging with us. And uh, again, chatting with us, and uh, we hope you have a great rest of your evening. And uh, thanks again, man. Thank you so dude. much for being with us, dude. Hell yeah, man. Thank you guys for having me. This is fun. Thanks, dude. All right, dude. I see you burning bright. You're a wild card. Your candle lighting up my ship.
And we're back. Thanks again to uh, to our boy Chris uh, for just being an awesome interview. Um, really super stoked to uh, to have had him on. Like I said, I, I've I've been a fan of their band since I'm I'm, I'm a younger lad. So it is really <laughs> really cool to to get to talk to him. And um, man, I I really excited that I got to bring up that song Keystone because it literally is like an actual love letter to Pennsylvania. Like it's just like better than any like wonder years song could ever talk about Philly. That song gushes about Pennsylvania. I love it. Dude. I, I vividly remember going to that fallout boy, Amberlynn and punchline show. And punchline was the, the opener. And for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to try chewing tobacco for the first Ugh. time. Dude, and I was like stomach sick. I remember being like instantly miserable. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm, go- I'm still going to the show. Like nothing's stopping me from going to the show. And I got in and Punchline was already playing. And then, then came their song, Time in a Picture. Like they were playing that. Yep. And dude, it's like just like that spacey like guitars in the beginning. And then yep. like, the bass and the drums kick in and i don't know what about that song like hearing it live i instantly felt better like i didn't feel like i was gonna puke everywhere <laughs> and i'll never forget that and it was just so special to talk with chris because you know they're they're vets in this music scene man like yep they might not be like the fallout boys or the panic at the discos or whatnot but like punchline is just as important as any of those other bands. And like you said, man, they were a band that kind of bridged that gap for people that listened to that like skate punky music to some of that pop punk music. And I I'm just so grateful that we got to talk with Chris. I had a blast and it, you know, hearing him with Chris the makes doing that podcast is a way better podcast than bar down breakdown. Like, definitely go and listen to that podcast because i am a huge fan and will be listening to every episode like dude the way they broke down hands down by dashboard confessional like that's what the whole podcast premise is like they break down like the band's hit song okay and like every every nitty-gritty detail about everything related to the song and hearing like some of your favorite bands talk for a full hour about like your favorite song is just so special oh yeah i i I totally agree and i gotta get into it that's one of the reasons that i've been listening to uh um uh the uh passing through frequencies which is the uh the jim atkins um uh podcast the guy from jimmy eat world who's been talking to a bunch of people just about uh you know their 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 songwriting and all that stuff i think it's really uh Really super cool. So definitely got to check that one out. I haven't done it yet, but all you guys listening out there, uh, you should do it too, man, because I'm sure uh, you'll find the same uh, joy in it that our, our, our buddy Mikey has. But let me let me ask you one quick question before I wrap up this episode. A million dollars. What would you do with a million dollars? What would I do? I'd probably start up my own record label. I'd probably press all the records that I love so much that never have gotten vinyl treatment. Maybe put some aside for a down payment on a house. Um, but uh, you know what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't buy 
Wayne Gretzky's rookie card, but somebody certainly thought that that was a good use of a million dollars, and that's what <laughs> happened. Yeah, like, whoever was able to purchase that, like, the IRS should instantly investigate them, <laughs> right? Like, instantly. But like, wait, sir, why do you have a million dollars to spend on a hockey card? Like, don't you know how bad of an investment this is? Like, we're going to look into your records. <laughs> like, that should be a total red flag. First of all, how does, ha- some, how does someone make that much money in life unless they are doing something extremely shady and crooked? Like, there's no <laughs> way you do that, honestly. I, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, unless, you know, unless you do do it, honestly. I mean, I guess there's some people out there that, that make a good, honest living. But uh, I don't know. Having a, a million dollars in liquid cash just chilling so you could buy Wayne Gretzky's rookie card. I don't know, man. Dude, you could probably, like, have a legit, like, if you reached out to Wayne Gretzky's people and said, hey, like, I want to go on vacation with Wayne Gretzky, how much would it cost? Like, it might actually be less than a million dollars to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. like I want to go on a cruise with me and Wayne. How much is that going to be? Like, that might only be a $500,000. I don't know. Listen, here's what I'll tell you. Um. If I was going on a cruise with anybody, I'd be going on a cruise with with Ovi because I I guarantee you all he would want to do is just drink vodka and play (laughs) NHL 21. And And that's all I ever want. Like (laughs) if you go to his social media page, it's just him ripping slap shots with his kid. Like that's it. (laughs) Just loves ripping slap shots. It's all it's all I want to do is rip rip slap shot, (laughs) drink vodka. Played any chill 21. That's all he wants to do. That's great. I love so much love for Ovi, so much love for Chris from Punchline, so much love for whomever didn't want to give me money and instead spend a million dollars on Wayne Gretzky's rookie card. That's so silly to me, but Godspeed, man. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing is he could have taken, you know, a little bit of that money and bought some bar down breakdown merch. That's what he could have done. He didn't do that. I bums me out, but I mean, you know, a million dollars could get you like, I don't know, 50,000 bar down breakdown shirts. We don't really expect you to buy that many, but we do want you to buy a couple. And, uh, just want to remind you as we do with every episode that our homies in coast to coast hockey have made this a reality for us. And we've got two T's available. We've got our flagship logo, which is beautiful, crisp and clean. You know, everything you'd want in a, you know, in a shirt, got that logo right on the right on the right side of the chest there. And then we've got our awesome jaws inspired, um, you know, kind of ringer style tee, which is great. Awesome design. Totally love it. And, and that's I've, available. I've been told that we have been underselling how soft these shirts are. Oh, we've been underselling how soft like how they much, are. Well, how much softer is what's softer than butter? Like how else should I describe this? Like softer than a bed of puppies? Like what else do you want me to say? Soft as a baby's bottom. Okay. So these shirts are as soft as a baby's bottom. And and you have a baby, so you can attest to that. Yeah, not that soft. Okay, very stinky, well, but not very that stinky. Very, very stinky. Like So let let it be known that uh the, the bar down breakdown shirts are not stinky. <laughs> they do not stink. So don't get any ideas that we're trying to sell you stinky baby poop shirts, because we're not. We're trying to sell you dope <laughs> threads. Coast to Coast Hockey has done an awesome job with them and uh Again, I say this all the time, but like when you're there looking at those bar down shirts, 
grab a Coast to Coast shirt while you're at it, man, because they are super soft. The designs are great. They hold up great. I've, I've washed my black flag shirt probably four or five times and it's still looking dope. Um, great guys, great people. And it's really awesome. So, I mean, you, you know, the drill go out there and get them. Uh, I know we still got, uh, we're still doing some, some cool extras with it, some stickers and stuff. So, you know, we're, uh, we really appreciate everyone that's, uh, been, been patronizing us and listening to the show. And, you know, if you do have a, a little bit of extra cash, obviously, you know, it's Christmas time, you know, money's tight for a lot of people, but if you got them, man, go grab a shirt. We'd, we'd really, uh, really appreciate the love. And, uh, on that note, you know, the drill, man, catch us on Instagram, catch us on Twitter. Uh, we always love feedback. So if there are any particular guests that you think we should have on that, uh, we haven't, uh, thought about yet, give us a shout because, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And, uh, you know, we are always, uh, as we always say, we are super pumped to be a part of the hockey podcast network. And uh, there's some great content there. So go ahead and give the Hockey Podcast Network a follow and check out all of the great content creators and podcasts that are on that network. And hopefully you'll find your other favorite podcast other than Bar Down Breakdown. And um, again, Chris, dude, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Uh, really super appreciate it. Um, I'm going to go spin Lion again because it's been a while since I've done it. And it's just such a great record. Uh, you know, Punchline can really do no wrong in terms of... Uh, just writing catchy catchy music you know between chris and steve they're uh they're they're just so great man so uh i'm done gushing man i think that's about all i gotta say you got anything to add there they're they're good sir no top other than all right it's been real peace be with you and also with you Says she's dying Through the door I hear her crying Why? I don't know Run here Always stand up straight Run here Something radiates Maria came from Nashville with a suitcase in her hand Said she'd like to meet a boy Looks like Elvis And she walks along the edge Of where the ocean meets the land Looks like she's walking on a wire In the circus She parks her car outside my house And takes her clothes off Says she's close to understanding Jesus When you know She's more than just a little Misunderstood
we've got hockey talk. Those are the moments you're a sports fan for. Um, those are the moments where, you know, you're down through nothing and the team has this amazing comeback. And the guy who you want, who you really are thinking this needs to be the star of this team, has a hat trick. We've got beer. It has a unicorn on the can. An easy drinking beer that's just delicious. We want to help you understand the sport you love better. What kind of things are you looking for to understand the game better? What, you know, what's a couple of things someone who's watching the game at home when things start up here in a few weeks or if they're watching college hockey, what's going on right now? What kind of things would they be looking for to try and understand the game better or what's happening in the game, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it's it's something that's evergreen. Um... Listen to Jackets Debrief, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.